Guys, you do us proud. <laughs> you make me proud to be a man. <laughs> Our scripture lesson for today comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, second chapter, beginning with verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to, Christ, to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to this Father's Day of 2007. You know, it's not easy being a father these days, is it? I heard about a man who said that he was warned that as his three daughters became old enough to date, that he would disapprove of each and every young man who took them out. But when the time came, he was pleased that this prediction was wrong. Each boy that, that he met was pleasant and well-mannered. But then talking to one of his daughters one day, he said to her that he liked all the young men that she and her sisters had brought home. But she replied, you know, Dad, we don't show you everyone. <laughs> Boy, that uh, puts a father's heart at ease, doesn't it? <laughs> you may have seen that TV commercial on, on, uh, on, on TV about the cell phone provider in which the young man is sitting there waiting with the, the father to take his daughter out on the date. And the father is trying to intimidate the fellow by pointing out the fact that he is right next to the fellow in his daughter's favorite five on her cell phone. It's like I'm watching you, he says. And then he gives him one of those intimidating fatherly stares. Some wise person, a man, no doubt, has made a list for dads. And this list consists of ways to intimidate your daughter's date when he comes home to, or comes to pick her up. I want to read just a few of the suggestions here. These are important tips. And I offer them to you, uh, fathers, as a public service announcement in case you have teenagers or Perhaps maybe teenager, teenagers are coming a little later on, but store them in the back of your mind here. Here's suggestion number one. Sprinkle some dust on your daughter before she leaves and then explain to her date it makes fingerprinting easier. 
Number two, challenge the young fellow to an arm wrestling competition. Number three, introduce him to the family by calling each member into the living room using a whistle and making them stand at attention and salute. And finally, number four, as they leave, talk into a walkie-talkie saying, subject is wearing khaki, short, khaki pants and a blue shirt driving a green Ford. Dads, if you follow these simple principles, then I feel pretty certain that your daughter's date will feel intimidated. I guess we, we laugh sometimes to keep from crying, but I want to focus our attention this morning on the 20th verse of this passage of Scripture that I read a moment ago from the second chapter of Paul's letter to Galatians. In this verse, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, here lies the ultimate secret for being a good dad or a good mom or a good grandparent or even a good son or daughter, for that matter. For ultimately, this is the secret of being a good follower of Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But what does Paul mean when he says that he has been crucified with Christ? Well, he certainly does not mean that he has been literally crucified with nails in his hands and in, in his feet. No. What he is talking about here is his old way of living, his pride, his self-righteousness, his sense of moral superiority, his disdain for people who did not think the way that he thought and worshipped the way that he worshipped. Those things have been put to death in Paul's life. And Paul has become a brand new person. You know, it's amazing that the Paul who previously had persecuted people because of their religious beliefs, could be the same Paul who wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can even move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all, I, all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. My friends, it's hard to believe that Paul, the persecutor of the church, 
is the same Paul who wrote these words. You may remember that when Paul, or Saul as he was known at the time, when he first came to Jerusalem to try to join up with the the Christian disciples there, you remember their response? They were afraid of him. They were afraid of him, and for good reason too, because they knew of his reputation. And they knew that before in his life there was nothing redeeming about him. There was nothing loving about Paul. Not the Paul that they had heard of before anyway. And that's just the point, my friends. Because you see, the old Paul was dead. Now there was a brand new Paul fashioned after the character of Jesus Christ. Loving, forgiving, accepting, caring. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This was the testimony of the new Paul. And that's what we all need too, isn't it? To be crucified with Christ and to become new persons in Christ. Particularly, I might say, this may be true of us dads. I mean, think about it. Have you ever heard of the male ego? <laughs> of course you have. Some of you may have even account, encountered it from time to time. It's, it's a, that part of the, the male character that makes many men think that the whole world revolves around them. Now, of course, I'm stereotyping here because women have egos too. <laughs> but a part of the socialization of, of most women includes learning how to think of we and not just me. And that's not the case with a lot of men. You may have heard about the Lamaze class that, that they were holding. It was a class that was full of pregnant women and their husbands. And the instructors were teaching the women how to breathe properly. And she was informing the men to, to give the necessary assurances at each stage of the game. And, and then the teacher announced, ladies... Exercise is good for you, and walking is especially beneficial. And gentlemen, it wouldn't hurt you to take a little time and go walking with your wife. Well, the room got really quiet about then, and finally a man in the middle of the room raised his hand, and the teacher replied, yes. And then he asked, would it be okay if she carries a golf bag while we walk? <laughs> Did I get an applause back here? <laughs> Again, I am stereotyping here because there are many sensitive, caring men in this world. But it's also true that many men grow up fighting for a place, their place in the sun. And their first instinct is to be competitive and to look out for number one. And, and this causes many to be insular. And if you let others get too close, then they might find some weaknesses in our character. 
In other words, there is much about the classic male makeup that works against being a loving mate and a loving parent. And that means that many men need to die to their old selves and be reborn with a new orientation. Or as Paul wrote, to be crucified with Christ and to find a new life in Him. But of course, this is true of all of us, isn't it? Not just us men. It's men and women and married folks and single folks and parents and grandparents, young and old. But for those who are in a situation where you're responsible not only for the physical needs of others, but also for their emotional and spiritual needs, there's that special need for a Christ-like love. A love that's more giving than the love that we were born with. One author tells about his father who retired at the age of 64 and The author wanted to buy his dad something to thank him for all of his hard work and the sacrifice through the years. But as he looked around, as he shopped in the stores, he realized that there was nothing that he could buy that could thank him enough. His father had taught him through his own hard work and his own faith in God that the greatest gifts come from the heart and not from the store. And so that night he sat down and he wrote a list of thank yous to his father for all that he had done for him. Then he left it on the kitchen table for his dad to read before he went to work on that last day of work. Here's what he wrote. Thank you, Dad. Thank you for waking up up every morning when it was still dark outside and going to work while we slept in our warm, comfortable beds. For wearing that ugly paper tie I made for you in the first grade for teaching me how to pray. Thank you for coming to all my Little League games and keeping quiet when other fathers wouldn't, for loving my mother with all of your heart, for teaching me that I can never say please and thank you too often. Thank you for taking me out for ice cream the night I struck out with a tying run on third, for giving me a hug when I badly needed one, for building that voice inside of me that said no when I was tempted to get behind the wheel of a car after I had been drinking, for helping me to buy my first car, for being a wonderful grandfather and for telling me that it's okay to cry. Thank you for being my hero, for being my friend. My friends, being a loving father does not come naturally for many people. It's hard work. And it means ignoring your own needs at times so that you can focus your attention on the needs of others. And some of us were lucky enough to have fathers who are able to model that for us, while others have fathers who could not. But a part of this new Christ-like character that I've been talking about today is the ability to give unconditional love. Now, what do I mean by unconditional love? Well, let me give you an example. Two examples, really. One on the negative side and one on the positive side. 
Some of you will remember the name Keith Hernandez. For many years, Keith Hernandez was one of baseball's top players. In fact, Hernandez is considered by many to be the best fielding first baseman of all time, winning 11 straight Golden Gloves and setting a major league record for the most seasons leading the league in double plays and lifetime assists by a first baseman. Hernandez won a batting championship for having the highest average. He was the most valuable player in his league as well as in the World Series. And yet, with all of his accomplishments, he missed out on the one thing that was crucially important to that to him, and that was his father's acceptance and recognition. Listen to what he had to say in this very candid interview about his relationship with his father. One day, Keith asked his father, Dad, I have a lifetime batting average of 300. What more do you want? And his father replied, but someday you're going to look back and say, I could have done more. And there are two ways of looking at Keith Hernandez's success. You might say that because his father was never satisfied with Keith's success, he was driven to excel. And and that's undoubtedly true. And some of you probably can relate to that. You've you've done splendid things in your life in a vain attempt to win your parents praise. However, there's also evidence that there were negative consequences to Keith Hernandez's drive to get to the top. Because you see, he has been accused of both substance abuse and a vain, arrogant attitude that has alienated him from many people in the baseball community. Now, whether that was true or not, I can't say. But we can say, without any hesitation, that putting conditions on our love, a love that's based on accomplishment and not on unconditional acceptance. That's damaged a lot of people. In fact, it's the very antithesis of Christ-like love. For you see, Christ-like love says, I love you just for being you. Not for your achievements, not not for being an honor student, not for being an outstanding athlete. I'm proud of you for your accomplishments, but I love you without reservation, simply and solely because you are my child. And that's what that's the kind of love that we receive from Jesus Christ. And that's also the kind of love that we seek to transfer to our own children. Now, somehow you've never received that kind of unconditional love from your parents, then I hope that you will receive that love today from Jesus. Folks, you don't have to be a super achiever. You don't even have to be a super Christian. I want you to listen to this and listen to it good. God loves you. Because you are you. That is the truth that all of us need to take home with us today. God loves you simply and solely because you are you. And I praise God for that. Reverend Richard Fairchild tells about a story that appeared years ago in the Christian Reader. 
The title of the article was Priceless Scribbles, and it concerns a father who touched his child's life in an unexpected way. The story is about a young boy who watched as his father walked into the living room, and the boy noticed that his younger brother John began to cower a little as his father came in. And so the older boy sensed that John must have done something wrong. Then he saw from a distance what his brother had done. The younger boy had opened up his father's brand new hymnal, just bought, and took a pen and scribbled all over the first page. Well, stand, staring at their father fearfully, both of the brothers were standing there waiting for John's punishment, and then their father picked up the prized hymnal and looked at it carefully, and, and then he sat down without saying a word. And you have to remember that books were precious to this man. He was a minister, and you've seen my library in here and many more at home, and books are special things because they, they, they represent knowledge, and, and that's what makes what he did next so remarkable. For you see, instead of punishing his brother and instead of scolding and yelling, his father took the pen from the little boy's hand and then he wrote in the book himself alongside the scribbles that John had made. And this is what he wrote. John's work, 1959, age two. How many times have I looked into your beautiful face, into your warm, alert eyes looking up at me and thanked God for the one who has now scribbled in my new hymnal. You have made the book sacred, as have your brother and sister, to so much of my life. Wow. Wow. And wow, thought the older brother. This is punishment, he thought. But the author of the story, who is now an adult, goes on to say that that hymnal has become a treasured possession in their family. It was tangible proof that their parents loved them and how it taught a lesson to them of what really matters is people and not objects. Patience, not judgment. Love, not anger. Friends, that kind of love does not come naturally to a lot of us. And so what many of us need to be, what many of us need is to be reborn. Not necessarily in some kind of a doctrinal way, but in a practical way. We need a new heart. We need new emotions. We need to die to our old self and be made new in the love of Jesus Christ. That's true for dads. It's true for moms. It's true for single men and women. And it's true of children. The Apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me.
So may it be with you and with me. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond in some way if the Spirit is leading you to do so. We're going to sing a hymn, number 600, More About Jesus. More about Jesus would I know. Perhaps Jesus is working in your heart and leading you to make a commitment. And maybe the love that you have within your heart is somewhat conditional. There are strings attached. Maybe you feel that that's the way it is in your relationships with others. But I want to tell you something, that, and that is that the love that God has for you has no strings attached. And it doesn't matter what you've done, what, what you've done to hurt or to anger or to disappoint. God loves you because that's who God is. And that's what unconditional love is like. And that's the love that God wants us to have and to share in our own lives. If you want this love today and you haven't experienced it, we invite you because that love is available for you. We invite you to make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's someone who is looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to unite with our fellowship as we seek to spread the love of Jesus Christ to each other and to this world around us. Would you come as we sing together number 600, More About Jesus? May we go from here living by the faith of Christ who gave himself for us. May we leave with God's forgiveness and with the gift of forgiveness to all persons. And may we go with the joy and the peace of Christ and God's love filling our hearts to overflowing. Amen.